0: A doctor.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Dovic, and she's a dietitian.
0: Hey, I'm Hannah Schuyler, and together we are the The doctor Doctor
1: Dietitian dietitian collab. Hello. Hello, hello. Wow. Welcome to
0: part one of our medical weight loss series. This is so exciting. This is going to be a four part series talking all about medical weight loss. And when we say medical weight loss, what we're talking about is using medications rather than or alongside surgery.
1: Exactly. Exactly. We're going to talk a lot. We're going to get down and dirty with all the details after I put that little teaser reel on my Instagram with, whoa, here's this complicated pathophysiology of all the places that the injectable medications work. I got, oh, there was so many, I'd say about 50 at least, um, patients who DM me like, I need to learn more. And I'm like, yeah wait till our pod.
0: We got you. So this today, we are just going to get started. And don't worry, all that fun stuff will be coming up. We're going to cover absolutely everything. Yeah. And we want to make
1: sure that you know we are going to be having a ton of episode guides with these. This is, mm-hmm. we want to break it down. We want to simplify it. We don't want it to be confusing. We want to make sure that if you would benefit from this treatment, we want you to go for it. So make sure that you go to DrXDietitian.com, subscribe to our blog, our episode guides, and you're going to learn pretty much all that there is to know about everything this. you
0: could want to know and probably more
1: now right now let's acknowledge we are in the midst of the holiday season here yeah, um it is the, it's Approaching december christmas. oh my gosh your first christmas as a married woman I how know. are you doing with
0: that oh it's good i don't know what i'm buying my husband for christmas <laughs> yet but uh sorry babe we'll figure something out yeah
1: same with mine i mean i just feel like if he wants it he gets it and we just live this charmed little life over here well, so
0: we're a little in the same the same vein I so you just
1: got married i mean what else could he want? He got you. I mean, seriously. Right?
0: I mean, for real. Literally the best gift you could ever get.
1: I think it is. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So some of you out there on the midst of the holiday seasons and you're also – just at parties, and you're just feeling maybe not yourself this year. You're just feeling a little uncomfortable. And so I want to just dive right into who qualifies for weight loss medications. And, you know, maybe you are somebody that did not have surgery, And you really don't want it either. So we're going to talk about BMI qualifications. BMI, again, is body mass index. And so if you don't know what your BMI is, just Google it. Just Google BMI calculator and you can put in your height and your weight. Boom, there it is. So those who qualify are a BMI. Or body mass index of 27 to 29.9, with weight-related issues. So diabetes is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, sleep apnea, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Now, if your BMI is over 30, you qualify for the medications based on your BMI alone.
0: Right. So, so that's that's kind of a good thing to, to note is because for surgery, it's 35 and up is the start of that. So you might also fall into that maybe 30 to 35 category where you don't quite qualify for surgery either. And these could be a really good, um, you know, kind of Inter- intervention to even prevent you from getting to, to needing surgery. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So the three big categories that I see that qualify for medications are, number one, if you your BMI qualifies, so you're from 27 to 34.9, but your BMI does not qualify for surgery, but you qualify for medications, go for medications. Number two, some of you out there actually do qualify for surgery. Your BMI is over 35, but you're maybe not quite ready yet. You're like, I, I got to try this first. I just, surgery's not for me. I just don't know. And that's fine. Maybe you're in that phase. That's, that's perfectly acceptable. Go for the medications as a first-line treatment. And then of course, the final one is those of you who have had surgery and maybe you're stuck on a plateau or maybe you have gained weight. Now, One thing that I am so excited for the future to really start to provide our patients is kind of like a, think about like a kid's growth curve. Think about like the trajectory for where you should be on that line. Like your child should be at, okay, here's the 50th percentile for your height, 50th percentile for your weight. You can see where your child or even yourself on these things falls on that. So what? I think is something that's really powerful and I think the future is is absolutely dictating this is having these sorts of trajectories for our post-op weight loss patients so of course it's the this it comparison if you start off with um weighing 200 pounds and your BMI is 35 you're Obviously, a little different than somebody who starts off with a BMI of 70 who's 500 pounds. Right. And we have the whole gamut and we have support groups and we have patients who are in there and they're saying, well, I mean, they lost 20 pounds in the first week, but I only lost two. Like, it is a proportion. It's all your perspective where you would fall.
0: Right. And where you've been and your body type and all of those kinds of things, you know. And it's a percentage, though, if you really look at it. Two percent or two pounds is one percent of one person and it's Look at you, math expert. Yes. I mean, come you know, on. Whatever. <laughs> no, but you're right yes. on it. But, but no, like, it, yes.
1: I mean, it's true. That's like, and for 2% of 500 pounds, we're looking at 10 pounds lost. So it's a right. huge, huge difference. You did better
0: math than I, I did. I hope
1: that was the right math because now I'm like a little bit like, uh, <laughs> but you get the hint. All and, numbers are approximate in this show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Disclaimers. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's really, um, you know, that that's what I want to show is that, okay, here's your trajectory. You've lost five pounds. Nope, you're right on track. Actually, you're ahead of schedule or mm, you are a little bit low. And it's about this real-time intervention and intervening even earlier than you would had you maybe, oh my gosh, I've been stuck. Is this the way it should be? Or is this something that maybe we need to add a weight loss medication as a post-op patient in the very early post-op period, actually?
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, when you look at, like, the whole trajectory, like you're saying, like, yes, it's earlier intervention, but it's also looking at if somebody longer term, I did a study on this, and of course I did last year, that was like, okay, we have, you know, Samantha, and she is, she started at this weight, and then in college, this was her weight, and then she gained weight, and then she lost weight, and then she had children, and this is that and the other, and you just see her whole you know, weight history as a trajectory as well. And you see where she's come from, where she's been, and then surgery intervention. And then you look, okay, surgery was successful for a period of time and then weight loss, you know, medication intervention. And so just really seeing like that patient as a whole picture and a whole person and life gets, you know, what happened, where were these points?
1: I am obsessed with that whole concept. And I encourage all of you out there to actually do what Hannah just described. You need to, really write down your life because we always ask our patients, so um, when did you start to struggle with your weight? Some will crack a joke as they will, even though They're hurting on the inside and say, I think I came out of the womb. I was a big baby. You know, like I feel like I have always struggled with my weight. I don't remember a time when I didn't. We have some patients who are like, I was so tiny, I was so thin. And then I had a baby or I went through menopause or I had a really horrific thing happen to me, emotional experience, whatever. And then I gained weight. And it's just been this like before and after that. So I would encourage you all to write sort of like these major milestones in your life. Okay, you just got married. So you're looking good. You lost weight. And then Oh, I got a kid and then I gained some weight and then I lost again. I started phentermine and then I and then you'll see these sort of these these patterns. And I love that as part of. Like when we're doing an evaluation of a patient for the first time an in initial consultation, I love the idea of like kind of plotting out that that kind of that life for, for me to see and for me to understand and for you as the dietitian to really yeah. come in and understand too.
0: Yeah, because then we look at things like if you were leaner, say like in high school, early college age, like that might be a more realistic place for you to aim for versus somebody who's struggled since adolescence and may may not get to some of those lower weights because it's just never been how their body has been set, or it might be more of a challenge. And so just knowing that history, I think, can really – guide treatment and guide intervention as well to know when should we be stepping in? Should we be aiming for something a little bit lower for a certain person?
1: Exactly. And I think that it helps with all the frustrations that can be associated with it. Like you just said, if you have struggled since you were a little kid, and this is, you know, strong genetics and just strong environmental factors and all of those things, then sometimes like the medication, it might be like, all right, listen, I'm going to give you the, you have tried your best. Like I'm giving you a pass that maybe surgery. Let's intervene with surgery even earlier than, you know, doing this medical weight loss and, oh gosh, I've only lost a couple of pounds. And and we're going to talk a lot about the science in a not boring way that just kind of describes why sometimes these medications are much more effective for certain body types. And not only that, this is a great spoiler alert, is that these medications, especially the most popular ones, which will be on part three of our medical weight loss series, which is going to be on the injectables, Mm -hmm. those GLP, p one agonists, guess what, you guys? After surgery, your GLP-1 levels are going to go up, and that means that those medications are actually going to be even more effective after surgery than they were before surgery. So, and and even the pills and all the ones we're going to talk about. So if you're like, oh my God, I mean, now I have to go back to the pills. Well, they never work. So why would I think they're going to work now? That's why I had surgery. I mean, duh. Well, guess what? It is a little bit different this time around. So I would encourage you to give it another chance if you're kind of stuck on that plateau or again, gaining some weight back. Yeah. So we're going to intervene early. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about um, all of, you know, the different... Um, Kind of the idea of the comprehensive approach to this. So I think just having surgery on its own ain't ever going to work. Right. Just taking a medication, a pill or injectable... It's not going to work. You need to. And we're going to spend part four of this a lot on your your expertise on the medical nutritional therapy, on a true weight management program, lifestyle, diet, exercise, and also behavioral therapy as part of this whole thing. So we are not telling you guys by any means. Oh, and by the way, we'll have these disclaimers. This is not a substitution for medical advice. If you're having a true medical emergency, call 911, of course, or seek your own healthcare provider to give you the care that they would in prescribing these medications and all of that sort of thing. But I, I really think that you that we want to make sure that we're very adamant that this is not something that can be done in isolation alone.
0: Right. Well, it's similar to the surgery. You know, we always say this is a tool and it works if you use it correctly. Um, you know, I can hand you a wrench, uh, but if you just hold it and don't You know, wrench something. Twerk it? Is it twerking or is that something else? (laughs) Yes. If you don't twerk your wrench, it's not going to do anything. It's just a wrench, you know, until you actually use it. Exactly. Maybe a hammer. I know how to use a hammer. I do know how to use a wrench. I want to wait. I want to oh clarify my gosh. I don't know how to use that, but I don't know the vocabulary for it. Apparently. Well,
1: I'll tell you what. I would never use a hammer because next thing you know, I just crush my hands, and there it all goes. <gasps> She's, She's gonna th- break her fingernail, guys. <laughs> oh well, there's that too. But yes, so I believe in these medications so much. That in 2020 I took a trip to Vail, Colorado. And I, uh, you know, this is a random thing. What a what a sacrifice you made to I go did. to Vail. Well, I am this was in actually I went to Vail in 2019. Actually, let me back up. And I was, it was in August.
0: I have actually I went there, I don't ski. No way. I've um, seen you dance. I don't want to see you ski. No, you
1: don't. I sweated through a, a true winter coat when I try to ski. I did. And I know this like, how it's like waterproof. It wasn't. It was that amount of sweat. Like I <laughs> I almost passed out my sympathetics which we're going to talk about the sympathetic nervous system my friends we'll get ready we're tying it all back in we're tying it in that's that has to do with the phentermine but anyway my sympathetics or my fight or flight was like in such an overdrive that I was just like freaking out so I tried skiing once this was not this time this time was in the summertime in Vail which was a very very beautiful thing you go up the mountains and then you jump on trampolines and stuff like that like okay we can handle this that sounds great But anyway, the whole point of this was I had like a spiritual awakening when I was there that I realized, um, you know, on this family vacation, I'm like, I need to get into the weight loss and medication space because I have heard many patients who come back and they feel like failures or they just are like, what do you think about the meds? And I always... I'm going to just put it out there. I was always super ignorant. I was like, you don't want to do that. So there might be some of your primary care physicians, your providers, your gynecologists, your endocrinologists that are like, no, those things are, they are hacks. They're terrible. And I decided before I could say something, again, so ignorant, I need to absolutely like learn about it. And that's why I did take the American Board of Obesity Medicine examination. So I'm a diplomat of that. I passed the exam and I am now a bariatrician in addition to being in a bariatric surgeon.
0: I think you bring up such an interesting point because, you know, these medications can be prescribed by a primary care doctor or endocrinologist, all of those things. And some of them will do it. But I do think that they're for so long. And especially with the injectables being so new, a lot of what we were relying on was the pills and things like that. And... They people were ignorant of them or what they do and they didn't want to do it or it's like you have somebody who has some extra weight and you're mm. concerned about their heart or that this that the other or, you know we think about like fentramine and so i do think that if you're out there and you have approached your primary care doctor or somebody else in your care team about this and they, they kind of blew you off like betsy used to mm. um you know maybe reapproaching it and saying look i've looked into this there's some new things on the market if you're not if you're not comfortable with With prescribing this, is there somebody else you can recommend or look for a bariatrician, anything like that, that that would know more about these kinds of things? Because, you know, also primary care doctors are knowledgeable in many, many subjects. They can't be, you know, super deep knowledgeable in every single one. I know. That's the thing. And I'm actually going to put on a continuing medical
1: education um, event here in the near future, which um, is for really mainly for non- bariatric surgeon-type providers, like the primary cares or the people who... I mean, let's face it. I think we all get into healthcare, into medicine, into nutritional therapy, into all of this stuff to help people. And then when you have this this epidemic, this real issue here with obesity, and you, like you said, you have this whole list of other things that they're treating. Like, all right, well, today you'll see the signs on the wall. Like, pick one thing and focus on it. What's your chief complaint, your number one issue that you want to address today? And it's like, well, I don't know. And then we go down the whole thing of like, my knee hurts. Well, that's because you're overweight. Okay, will you help me? with that? Eat less and move more. Okay. That's not helpful. So if you've, if you've been in that frustrating experience, I mean, you're not alone. Unfortunately, that's it. But like Hannah said, just like with surgery that had a really bad rap, these medications, man, oh my gosh, there is some extraordinarily promising medications out there. And I'm just excited to to share all that with you guys. So we're going to start off and we're going to talk a little bit about, all right, you finally made up your mind. Either you've already had surgery, you want to do this, or again, you're just somebody that wants to go on a medication and you're bravely kind of embarking on this journey because it is a journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want to talk first a little bit about the emotional side of deciding that, oh gosh, just like with surgery, great, my weight has now gotten to the point where I need help. And taking that first step is just super challenging and it's, it's, it's this conversation with yourself of, all right, let me try to find somebody. Or if, and that's the thing that kills me about like sometimes the primary cares or the mm-hmm. gynecologists, like, okay, they brought up my weight and now I'm like, okay, what can I do? And then they don't help. And it's just so
0: devastating. It is. And I think when, you know, with, it shouldn't be shameful when you need to ask for help. Mm. And that is just something. It's always going to come back to society. But, like, society has always made it more challenging, especially Western society. Like, asking for help is really challenging. And then also when you basically have been gaslit all these years of mm. people just telling you to work out more and eat less and, like, dietitians are not blameless in that either. I think that's – you know, we focus primarily in that space. And, um But it's not – it doesn't work for everybody. And it's just reality when we look at diet and exercise are just a very – they are a small piece of that whole pie that is a human. And and when we look at weight especially, we look at environmental factors, stress, sleep, um, genetics, hormones. And then diet and exercise are also in that big thing. Yeah. I mean all of those things. And that's why when you're ready
1: to get the help, I want to make sure that you can get it and um on episode 4 of series of this four part series we're going to be talking a lot about how do we get the to get these meds covered because that's the biggest thing it's like okay I qualify I'm a perfect candidate I found a physician or a provider that is actually going to pre- just going to prescribe these meds and then poof that'll be $1600 a, a month, month. A month, a month. Oh my gosh. So, all right. So, how do we decide what medication is best for you? So, it comes down to this evaluation. And that is a typical history in physical. And I think that I'm going to tell you guys some things that might blow your mind. This is absolutely going to be an episode guide. I'm going to start off with the your other medical history first and talking a little bit about some of the medications that you might take. So I'm going to tell you about a list of meds and I'm going to tell you things that might be upsetting. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to tell you guys seriously that you might be like, why didn't anybody ever tell me about what I'm about to say to you guys? Because it's something that you are prescribed a medication and the person that prescribed it maybe didn't know or didn't consider that some of the medications have a significant side effect of weight gain gain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you've been on these meds and some of these medications, you absolutely need to treat that condition. But I'm going to provide you with a huge list of medications in that class that cause the weight gain. And if possible, take this list to your provider. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. Have this discussion and, you know, really just be educated on these things for yourself, like be your own advocate. That's what we always propose here as well. But I'm also going to tell you some in that class that treat these conditions that are alternative to them. That, that are either weight neutral, okay, you won't gain or lose, which is fine, or even some of them that will help you to lose weight and
0: help treat the condition. Right. And I think that's the thing. It's not, you always want to make sure you have that alternative in place. Like you said, these, I know we're going to talk about, it's uh, like depression and things like that. Like we want you to treat those things. Absolutely. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But yeah, maybe there's an alternative that doesn't also cause. The secondary side effect of weight gain.
1: Exactly. I think there's so many um, patients when I ask them again, back to like, when do you think you started to gain weight? A classic one is when I started, I took the Depo-Provera birth control injection, for example. And it was like, or we're going to start off here with another class. Um, Depression treatment, like you said. Mm-hmm. So mental health, getting treatment. Some of you are on the cocktail of medications or just one medication that like, man, I am from a mental health standpoint, things are great. And if you don't have your mind right, like all this other stuff, like, I don't know. It all plays together. Like sometimes your weight makes you depressed and that whole thing as well. Right. But um, so looking at these, this list here, so these are the medications that are used to treat depression that do cause some weight gain. So here we go. So number one is paroxetine, which is Paxil. Number two, amitriptyline. And that's a really common one. Um, this is um, it's like a tricyclic antidepressant, and that does cause weight gain. Also, there are MAOIs. So those medications, um, they do have a lot of like interactions with other meds, but one is um, like Pamelor a lot of weight gain, Remeron, Effexor, Cymbalta and Marplan is also an MAOI but Cymbalta I want to talk about that one for one moment. That's the one with the sad little blue guy. I think uh, on the commercials. I don't know. They haven't targeted me in their marketing campaigns. I don't have Some to look years that up. Ago. Well, I'll tell you Cymbalta is extremely popular because it also, in addition to being used as an antidepressant, it is the only medication found to be effective in clinical trials in treating fibromyalgia. Oh. So one of the only ones. I mean, it's the main one. If, if a patient has fibromyalgia, typically they're like, I can't live without my Cymbalta. Right. And I'm telling, I'm not telling you to get off of that, but unfortunately that is one that might've caused you to gain some weight. And I think that fibromyalgia can also cause some like focal joint issues. And then if you gain weight, cause you're on the treatment and now you're heavier, I think sometimes it's like this vicious cycle and it's like, oh man, like some of you might be like dumbfounded right now. Like no one told me that again. And this is like frustrating because it's like this. You're like going it's in like the a wrong feedback direction. Cycle feedback loop, a negative feedback loop of just hell on some of this and not good. Now here's the alternatives if you can do them. Um, so some that actually are weight neutral include Prozac, Floxetine, very popular one, Zoloft, um, Celexa. Lexapro and those ones are weight neutral and guess what there is one medication that actually causes weight loss Ooh, okay. and that is bupropion or wellbutrin. Okay. Now, Wellbutrin is also commonly used to help to curb um, addictions like um, nicotine addiction. Okay. So that'll be used and then bupropion, Wellbutrin is part of a medication the generic is part of Contrave, which we're going to talk about on our pill episode mm-hmm. which is on part two. So well, Welbutrin is the best one on that regard for that. All right. Now we're going to move on to the diabetes medications for type two. So one thing, and I'm sure you can speak to this really well, um, having some of your diabetes education background mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing, is there's the difference between type one diabetes and type two diabetes.
0: Yeah. So type one diabetes is um, a condition where you don't produce insulin and you're you need insulin like it's required to to live otherwise yeah. your blood sugar can't enter your your cells it would stay in your bloodstream you would like starve essentially cuz your cells aren't being fed it's generally more common and or more commonly diagnosed in younger people in adolescence is when you'll find it you know you'll find five, six, seven-year-olds that are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, it can be diagnosed later on. Um, I knew somebody that was, like, 19 or 20 when she was diagnosed. Mm. Um, and I don't know if, it, like, I think it's a little bit, like, late-onset type 1 diabetes kind of thing. And so that requires insulin injections. And what happens with it, when that happens and this is why you see weight changes in people. You'll see people drop a lot of weight. And that's a lot of times the first indication of mm. either type of diabetes is just like a significant weight loss. Because, again, those cells are not being fed the sugar that you're getting in your body. And so you lose weight. Um, so we give you correct that and it fixes it. So people will gain regain weight, which yeah. a lot of times in type 1 is not generally as bad because a lot of times they've gotten to be – very small or they're kids and we don't want them to be losing. You don't want kids generally to lose weight right. um, on a general kind of consensus. But um, So then type 2, which used to be considered later onset, but it's become earlier and earlier and earlier now. We are starting to see teenagers and kids even getting type 2 diabetes, um, but still generally speaking, more older people get type 2. It's when your insulin... Is just it's you're resistant to that insulin. It just doesn't work as well, or you're not producing enough of it. Mm. And so then you can get on some some type two diabetics will require insulin injections, but a lot of them do like oral medications um, like metformin or something like that to, um, to to treat that. And it's something that with you know we see it reversed in in with surgery. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, and, the type 2 diabetes yeah. and insulin resistance. And type 1, though, is, like, not reversible. There are some – just like, this is an aside – there are some very cool advancements in type 1 diabetes management where there's, like, essentially an external pancreas that mm. people can use. Um, that's It's, like, such a tight, controlled blood sugar monitor and pump system that it pumps in the insulin and it's, like, continual gl- glucose monitoring that it's – like a game changer. I don't know how available it is. I haven't seen it. I haven't like delved delved into that in a while, but like wow. it was very cool technology when I last saw it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are so many advancements in the treatment, but like you said, type 1 unfortunately only has insulin. Now, there's do you have any thoughts on like this new kind of um additional category. There's type 1, type 2 we just talked about, and then type 1.5 where essentially there is um you're like – it's like a combination of the two and you don't even almost know what you are because of the way your body's
0: responding. I don't know much about it, to be honest, so I can't like give an opinion on it. I haven't like read or anything. But it's, it's interesting because, again, it's kind of like where we're seeing these kids with type 2 or adults with type 1. Maybe it is some third – Thing, truly. Exactly. And sometimes it's hard to diagnose. Mm-hmm. And with surgery,
1: type 1 never will go away, like you said. However, it actually will show you that your blood sugar levels will improve some even after a gastric bypass with type 1 diabetes, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Now, one of the problems is insulin right. it causes you to gain so much weight. It's so hard. Talk about that negative feedback loop. I mean, you need it to survive my poor type 1s. But then it's like the type 2s because as well, like their insulin resistance gets worse and then they need now, okay, the pills aren't working. Then there are some injectables, which we'll talk about, are not working. And now all of a sudden I have to go to insulin. The insulin causes me to gain weight. I need more insulin. My hemoglobin A1C, or which is um, a lab value, which essentially summarizes how your blood sugar levels have been over the last three months. And my blood sugar level, um, according to that, let's say your hemoglobin A1C is over 10. And that means that your blood sugar you're walking around with on a daily basis is like 400. Right. You can't feel well with that.
0: Yeah. No. And and those are the people that they don't realize how bad they feel until they feel better too. I know. Because you're just walking around at that baseline. Or that they come in and they're like, Oof, my blood sugar is 120. I feel terrible. Yeah. Because that to them feels low. So low. You know? I know. And just, to F, you know, a normal blood sugar is 70 to 90. Just to give you a reference, like 120 would be like a higher. Yeah,
1: for exactly. Mo- for somebody who's
0: not diabetic.
1: So yeah, after surgery, I mean, that's part of the thing that you do in terms of diet and recommendations and carbs and slowly kind of reinvancing. We talked a lot about ketosis on this podcast. It's There's a lot of considerations. And so it's not just the insulin that causes weight gain. There's some other medications like sulfonylureas, glipizones, glitinides. Now the alternatives is actually what this whole kind of like medical weight loss um, kind of like blow up is all about right now is first off, um this one's not really that great, but it is one that does give some very, very tiny amounts of weight loss, which is metformin. Right. Now, metformin is a medication that a lot of Women who are trying to get pregnant will be put on because they have PCOS and insulin resistance. The metformin will hopefully help them to lose some weight if they need it and kind of and put them on that. Metformin is one that I feel like I mean, I was put on it for my infertility stuff. I had a little bit of degree of PCOS and
0: I I could not tolerate it. I could not. What what were like the like side effects of it for you? So nauseous.
1: Okay. So nauseous. GI just so much nausea. I never vomited on metformin, but I just was so nauseous. I like, I honestly was like, I can't handle it. Yeah. And at the fertility clinic, they're like, girl, when you get pregnant, you're going to have a heck of a time with the probably the morning sickness and all that, which I did. But I was just like, I couldn't stand even the metformin. Yeah,
0: but you're like, at least if I have morning sickness, it's because I have a, like, I'm growing a human. Like, there's a good reason for it. Yeah, I'll just
1: charge on. But like this, like, uh, I just couldn't do it. So all of you out there and sometimes, you know, the starting to is about 500 milligrams and then maybe 500 twice a day and then up to like two grams or 2,000 milligrams I've seen. And those people who can tolerate that, I'm like, rock on, yeah. man. Like that's a lot. Yeah. That's really tough. And you might have to titrate up or go
0: slowly. And we'll talk about that and too. And you have to titrate down off of it is my understanding. Like it's not something you can necessarily just... Like, no, stop.
1: Exactly. And just like another medication that we'll talk about here in a moment, beta blockers, which mm-hmm. is a high blood pressure medication, also used to help with a pulse rate control, might be used in atrial fibrillation. It might be used for anxiety, actually, stage fright. Sometimes you'll use mm-hmm. propranolol, which is a beta blocker. Those ones, please listen to this. You cannot just stop those because you'll have a refractory increase, like a bounce back in your heart rate where you'll mm. get very high heart rate, tachycardia, and um, you could have significant significant um racing of your heart you cannot just stop your beta blocker
0: you have to ease off of it ease off your beta blocker. ease off of it my friend talking to your doctor yes
1: talk to your doctors talk to your doctors always so don't just stop it don't don't play you know don't just stop any
0: medicine yeah i would say please talk to somebody before you do it Yeah,
1: I think that this is
0: all very, really sound advice that we're giving out here today.
1: (laughs) All right, now the other ones, like again, we're doing a whole podcast episode on the GLP-1 agonist, so I won't talk too much on those, like Saxenda, Ozempic, Victoza, Trulicity. Those are just some of the ones that are useful in treating type 2 diabetes. And then there's a few other ones, like these SGLT-2 inhibitors, um, and we'll talk a little bit about those coming up as well. Now, the high blood pressure treatment. Now, the beta blockers I just talked about, so they end in o l o l. So if you're like, I don't know this classification, like what's a sulfon or Like I don't know if I'm is the medication I take is that in that or is that this? Just Google it mm-hmm. and it'll tell you. But the beta blockers are typically like propranolol, atenolol, metoprolol, lowpressor, mm-hmm. toprol XL. Those ones unfortunately have a little bit of a modest weight gain. Associated okay. with them,
0: what what when you say modest weight gain, what do you know? Like have a number?
1: Um, it's it's a it's a low percentage. I'm gonna say that normally people will gain like five to ten pounds, so okay. I would assume it would be like one to two okay. percent. It wouldn't be. I, I don't think it's very much, but there there definitely is some. Now, if you have to be on a beta blocker because, like I said, they have a lot of different reasons, not just blood pressure control, but on all the heart rate control. The best ones that are more weight neutral are carvedilol. Or it's neb nebval. I have never seen that one. But carvetolol is a, a popular one. Yeah. So if you can do it, great. And then there's like ACE inhibitors, um, which are good, angiotensin receptors, calcium channel blockers, all that kind of stuff. All right. Now, if you're on a psych med, such as like Zyprexa, Seroquel, Risperdal, Lithium, There's not really great alternatives to those ones, which is really hard. I know. Um, The most weight neutral is like Haldol. Um, That one's pretty good. Zyprex is decent. Um, And some other mood stabilizers, which are pretty weight neutral, are like Tegretol, Lamictal. Um, is one that I've commonly seen. So take these to your psychiatrist. And I'm sure that those, because they know about that significant weight gain, they your psychiatrist or your prescribing doctor should have addressed that with you, or at least talked about about that. As much as they can,
0: and don't don't forget, you guys. This will all be in chart form. So yeah, I if know. You're I'm like, like all these names and all whoa. these all all Like, <laughs> thanks for keeping like breaking yeah. it. Like we were getting a little too heavy there. We what well,
1: you know what it's, it's getting just, boring for a second, wasn't it?
0: No, we just are nerds. <laughs> Okay, good.
1: I'm like, oh, my God, guys, you're like, you're, you're you guys, you're a lull class. You know what? I am a really, I love pharmacology. I it, love it. It's
0: really interesting. Like, we're sitting, as we always are, sitting across from each other, and you're just, like, you're just, like, lighting up about, like, all of these medications. And I was like, I have heard of that one. Like, I remember carvedilol. Like, oh, my
1: God. I mean, I am, like, I'm using my hands. I'm just trying yeah. not to hit the mic because then poor Hannah, who edits this, will have to, like, delete out, <laughs> then edit out that boop sound so i'm just really trying to stay on here um now there is, some of you have a seizure disorder epilepsy and um there are unfortunately some meds that cause weight gain now some of these meds are also used for things outside of seizure disorders for example gabapentin neurontin
0: that's wait let me it's for for um you got this pain Right you got it. in your finger? Like, A little bit more. Little bit, give me more. Give me um, more. It's more specific. Neuropathy.
1: Neuropathy. Yes, exactly. The numbness and tingling. Neurontin is used to treat that. It's usually used for our diabetics. So it's like, oh, great. I'm on insulin and neurontin to try mm. to help with this diabetic neuropathy, this numbness and tingling. And it can also cause more weight gain, more insulin. The whole cycle keeps going. Lyrica is another one. And um, that's a um, pregabalin is another name for it. And that can cause some. Tegretol is another common one. The alternatives, actually, some of them are great for weight loss. But some of them, like, aren't useful for the neuropathy and things. For example, Topamax, Topiramate. Mm When you combine fentramine plus toparamate, which also topiramate is used for migraines. Um, yeah. You might have heard of, heard of that, Topamax. If you combine those things, the medication, the brand name is called Cusimia, And that medication is one that um, causes a pill form that causes weight, weight loss, loss. big time weight loss. And then you got your weight neutral. We talked about the Limicdol already uh, as part of some of the psych meds, and mood stabilizers, the Keppra, the Dilantin. So there are alternatives to that sort of thing. All right, let's talk about one of the biggest myths out there and um and we I already kind of sp- <laughs> spilled it a little bit, but it's about birth control. Oh yeah. So, people ask all the time like and they say and I and I just want your anecdotal thoughts on it, just sort of like your perspective on what do you think about birth control by mouth and what it does for weight?
0: What's your gut tell you about that? My gut Well, it's so interesting because I don't honestly know a person my age that has not been on oral birth control of some sort throughout our 20s and 30s. Like, to me, I understand where it's like it's messing with your hormones. We know that hormones and women and fat deposition and all of that is so interplayed. But then you get told all the time by gynecologists, (sighs) like, no, it doesn't. Or, again, like you said, modest weight gain, you know, one to two pounds. Some people – you know, it really curbs hunger. So, like, there's different things. Some people, it, like, causes a huge appetite. I've always felt fairly neutral on birth control. Yeah. Um, From, like, that perspective. Like, it didn't cause me to have, like, mood swings or, you know, like, my PMS wasn't bad or anything. And then I got an IUD. That, I am convinced, has caused it for me personally to be more difficult to lose weight. Yeah. I don't know that it necessarily caused me to gain weight, but I think it's made it more challenging to shed pounds. I I think it does. I
1: do. I really do. And I think that just like we talked about like different people's um, reaction or success rate with medications has to do with sort of like their workup. I think to say that the studies show that when you look at the average of all the people, like the the dead center mean here, the median is saying that there's no like, you know, clinically significant weight gain, I think is wrong. I think there's people undeniably over and over again, I hear that are on birth control, the IUD thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I have an IUD and I don't think it really, I don't think it, I don't think for me it does, but I have a best friend who I see every day in the operating room and we would eat the same thing and her weight all of a sudden it was like, phew, it yeah. just went up.
0: Yeah. I mean, I said this on another episode, like a friend of mine, the same thing, like no changes in diet, no change in activity level, got the copper IUD and it was Ugh. like- 15 or 20 pounds and she was a petite woman like it it was you know pretty significant amount and then she just couldn't she was like i'm i'm exercising more i'm eating differently like couldn't lose the weight got it taken out and like just fell off yeah so but they're very good for not i know for not to think about birth control like period control i know
1: and even after surgery if you were to like tell me hey which is the best one for me. I mean, I think that you can still take pills by mouth. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's really no major impact on absorption of them. So I think that still think that they would be as
0: effective, but there's still a little bit of that. Eh, the best one afterwards is probably the IUD. Right. Cause it's that permanent, I like know. You do, your yeah your gut doesn't, isn't a factor in it.
1: Totally. I think that one is fantastic. It's so easy. so easy. They
0: just extended the life of one of them too. Like you can keep it for like seven years instead of five because Europe's been doing that.
1: Oh, thank you, Europe. Yeah. That's good. Well, that that sounds really good. Now, we talked about this a little bit, but man, the progesterone only methods. Mm -hmm. So there's, I think, the mini pill, progestin, and then of course Depo-Provera, which is a progesterone only injection. The perks of it? when you're on only progesterone, you it's the it's it's the withdrawal of progesterone which gives you your period. Okay. So when you're on, in other words, when you're, your progesterone levels that are a steady state are high, that means you're not going to get periods. Okay. So when you take, think about like when you're doing birth control, there's that week of placebo mm-hmm. just to kind of keep in the routine of it. But the week of placebo, you're pulling out the progesterone so that you'll have a pre- period. So when you like, it's like, I'm not going to take the placebo week. I'm just, I don't want to have a period. I'm just going to keep going straight in. It's, it's, is that the progesterone has to stay high. And that's also what maintains the pregnancy as well is, um, is, is looking at um progesterone and so when I was on my infertility I had to give myself this intramuscular injection of progesterone mm. every day. Oh my god, it was awful. But anyway, and it causes you to instantly gain weight. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. I mean, I was getting in like horse doses amount to keep the pregnancy going, oh but gosh. I mean, the depo rivera absolutely causes weight gain. Period period. Yep. And the problem is, is once you get it injected, it's not like, oh, I'll stop that pill tomorrow. It's in that system. And it has to
0: take it's a lot of wear off. Oh, no, it's like way Or That's than how that. often you get them, right? It's like a monthly I think shot it's, or quarterly? I think it's it's like quarterly, at least. I wouldn't want to go to the doctor quarterly. No way. Stay away from us doctors as much as I'm you can. I'm obviously very clearly lazy with my birth control. <laughs> oh, my god! Like, Give me the thing I don't have to think about. <laughs> I still wake up, though, at night. I'll go to bed and I'll be like getting ready to fall asleep, and I'll like suddenly wake up and be like, I have to take my pill. Oh, God. Like, I haven't taken a pill in like four years. Oh, God. <laughs> what it's is total.
1: this? I think it's PTSD from it.
0: Yeah. It's training.
1: It is, it is trained in you. <laughs> uh-huh. Right now, I'm in the middle of the holiday season, Um, as we know. And for me, it's waking up like, did I move the elf on the shelf? <laughs> That's where I'm at right now with my life. I'm like, oh shoot, did the have oh. move? I hope my, I hope my little kids aren't listening to this.
0: I hope your little kids aren't listening to this for a lot of reasons. Yeah, well, for a lot. They are.
1: How about that sex episode we <laughs> just uh, we just uh, launched mm-hmm. last week? I hope you guys liked it. I um, I, we're, we're, we're we're loving the feedback so far. <laughs> yes, there it is. Mm-hmm. There's that. Oh, now um, moving on to boy, we could talk for hours on this, and we are. Not, this is why I said four episodes. I I mean, I'm almost like, gosh, we should have done even more. Okay, so let me let me pull together here. We'll wrap this um, one up. So inflammation treatment. So if you have arthritis, um, if you have pretty much any condition, sometimes you might be prescribed steroids, corticosteroids, <sighs> the Medrol dose packs, all of that. You feel amazing. You feel like you could like climb a mountain. Your joints are feeling good. But oh boy,
0: mm, mm-mm. just wait.
1: Just wait. You're going to get the weight gain. So if you're on steroids, if you have like an autoimmune condition where you're like, the only thing when I get these flares is I have to go on a steroid thing. It's like, ugh, just not good. Yeah. It's really, really tough. And- um, and that's another thing just about if you do have to go on a steroid um, like these medrol dose packs, if you've had the gastric bypass, that's the only real medication that we really want you to be on something to protect the lining of the stomach so that you don't get the gastritis, the inflammation, mm. and ultimately potentially that ulcer. So remember... If you're on that, do something like a proton pump inhibitor like Protonix or like pepsid or and or maybe you need something like Carafate, which again coats the lining, which lets that whole thing heal. Alternatives are anti-inflammatory meds. A lot of our patients um, are worried about like the Motrin, the ibuprofen. But if you need to take that, it's okay. Um, Here and there is totally fine. If you're on a more regular basis, again, you want to add that anti um, reflux medication as well.
0: And I think a lot of this, too, goes to when we talk about these medications and alternatives. And for some of these disorders, it's also like this could be an impetus for you to try to get to some of the underlying causes of these. Is it from some other, mm. you know, like these autoimmune disorders? Is it could it, you know, could it be potentially like food related or could it be, uh, you know, is there some other thing when you're having flares? Or are you noticing cycles of when you're having them oh. or things like that? So it's just kind of. Being your own advocate of saying, I want to take maybe the steroids less often if I can. Is there something we can do to get to more of a root cause of this versus treating a flare? Totally. And
1: some people want steroids so much they become diabetics. Mm -hmm. And this also plays with the whole cortisol response. And so when we're talking, when you listed off all these multifactorials that go into why people are struggling with their weight... One of the big ones is cortisol levels, and it has to do with your circadian rhythm and sleep, which we'll have a whole episode on that, I'm sure. And the other thing is about stress. Mm-hmm. And um, when we're stressed to the max, we, some of us respond by packing it on, that central distribution and all of that pattern. Your adrenal glands are on overdrive. So many things going yeah. on there. All right. If you have HIV... Obviously, you need to be on an antiretroviral protease inhibitors. There's, They cause weight gain. Yeah. So I know that's sort of always been weird. I've done a lot of patients with HIV, mm-hmm. and um, I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm proud to take care of them. Like, no no big deal um, at all. So if you have HIV, that is not um, a contraindication to having surgery. I'll still right. operate on you. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of people have the misconception, like, how do I have HIV and I'm struggling with my weight? Like, you think of it more of the AIDS, the full-blown and that hectic right. look. But the meds are phenomenal, obviously, but they do cause
0: weight gain. Right. It's almost because it's that undetectable HIV. It's not that same, yeah, if we look back in the 90s and when that was kind of that thought of that very very malnourished person exactly because you're because you're treating the disease which is great
1: Exactly. And that also goes with back to the whole steroid thing. We talk a lot about transplants. And Mm -hmm. I see um, a lot of post-op and actually pre-op patients who need to get on the transplant list. They need to lose weight in order to be listed for a heart, for a lung, for a liver, for a kidney, Mm -hmm. for a pancreas. And they have to lose weight. But some of them have had the surgeries. And then if they're going through like a potential rejection episode or something where things aren't going right, right. We put them on huge doses of steroids and then you gain weight. And then right. it's just, this again, it's just really tough. All right. These last two are going to be the ones that are going to be like the biggest doozies, yeah. I think. So the sleep thing, we talked a lot about sleep being so essential mm-hmm. to weight loss. But Ambien... Which, oh boy, that can cause you to really have some <laughs> issues and side effects. One of them is weight gain. Mm. But the alternative is melatonin, which is uh. on the sleep episode, we'll talk a lot about um, that being a more natural alternative to it. And then finally, um, this is the last one that I'm it's like, oh boy, allergy meds, antihistamines. <sighs> okay, are you ready? Weight gain um, are things like um, uh, Zyrtec, um, Allegra, Doxepin, and then the alternative is loratadine, which is clarinex. Clarity. Okay. So you want to be on that one. It has the lowest potential for weight gain. Mm. So you want to make sure. Let me make sure. Is that correct? Is loratadine um, clarinex? I don't want to tell my our fans wrong here. Um,
0: let me just make sure I look that up really quick. Um, do you have allergies? I don't, but my husband does, and um, he takes the children's, like, I think the Zyrtec Okay. The, the, um, I don't know, store brand one. <laughs> it's like grape flavored.
1: <laughs> so it's not Clarinex, it's Claritin. 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 I knew yeah. that didn't sound right. Um. So so if you have allergies, my friends, try the Claritin, the Loratadine, instead of the other ones.
0: See, what's sad, what's annoying is like, he, I think that's what he was on before. And then it, it doesn't it, work. It doesn't work. This one <sighs> that he's on right now, it's like his allergies are like. Wait, actually, shout out to Debbie for that recommendation. Oh, yes. That's who I got that.
1: She's our numero uno fan. So yeah. there we go. Well, lots of these meds, ones that cause weight gain, ones that are weight neutral, and then those wonderful ones, if it helps your condition and helps a little weight loss. I mean, what
0: a win-win on those. Yes. Yes. And again, this will all be outlined in a guide. We're going to make it nice and easy for you to check out. Um, So don't fret if you're like, what was that one that they said? I mean, you can listen to this 40 times if you want to. But um, (laughs) keep an eye out for those guides. Check us out on DrXDietitian.com. Sign up for those episode guides. All of that will be there. We'll also have, I'm sure, some beautiful diagrams and things coming out. Look for us on Instagram at DrXDietitian. Any final words? On this uh, part one of our four-part series here.
1: We'll just keep listening. And um, we we love your um, listening. Boy, I'll tell you, like in November and our podcast is really just taking off. Yes, and it's just so exciting. It. So we want to thank you guys for listening, for following us on Instagram. That's at Dr. X Dietitian with a T. And um, make sure you follow us or subscribe to our YouTube. And soon we'll be having even more things. So lots of exciting stuff for us. So, so I hope fitting. you're enjoying this um, this four-part series on medical weight loss. Awesome. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys.